2020 was a lot of things. Obviously, it was the year of COVID. It was a year of challenges, of social distancing, of change, disruption, Tiger King, which side note, I think I'm probably the only person on the planet who hasn't seen it yet, and the year of TikTok really taking the world by storm. For our family, 2020 was a big and busy year. It was challenging, but there were also a lot of gifts in it as well. In the last few episodes, you've heard about my personal ups and downs and the ones in my business. Episode 43 talks about the successes and failures I had personally, and episode 47 touches on my speaking and coaching business and what worked and what really didn't. I know a lot of you guys really love to hear what other people are doing, and I think this is a really important part of what our podcast does. We put a mic to things that people are often awkward or uncomfortable sharing or asking questions about, and we, we want to change that. If you want more of this, episode 45 has members of our Golden Girls community sharing their personal lessons and what has helped them be successful. So if you haven't listened to these yet, go have a listen because these episodes are incredibly powerful. In today's episode, along the same theme, we are shifting gears to real estate, and I'm joined by my delightful and brilliant husband, Troy. Today, we're talking about our real estate business and how 2020 was the year we more than tripled our portfolio. Yes, in the last 12 months, we've gone from nine rental doors to 33, even at a time when the world economy completely shifted, when evictions were banned at the same time as many of our tenants were, required, were not required to pay rent, and we struggled a lot with consistent childcare. If you're curious about real estate or you have a portfolio you're looking to expand, this episode is for you. In it, you're going to hear about the failures we faced in our growth. You're also going to hear about our FOMO and some of the missed opportunities. You're going to hear about burning out and how we try to do too much. And we, we share all this in hopes that we can prevent you from making the same mistakes. You're also going to hear what worked really well, how we shifted from playing small to playing a bigger game how we broke the income ceiling to buy more properties, how investing in mentorship really helped us, and how we're now helping investors make money and why it's one of our favorite things that we do in our business. We also share an example of where going the extra mile really pays off and how you might be able to do that for yourself. We hope this episode leaves you feeling relieved because hopefully you won't make the same mistakes that we did. We also hope that it gives you some ideas because success leaves clues. And we hope that this helps you figure out how you can create success with real estate, no matter what your definition is. Whether you're just getting started, you are scaling, or maybe you're way ahead of us, I am sure that there'll be something in this episode that you can learn and take away from. Listen up, Golden Girls. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast, where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Golden Girls Podcast. I am very excited to have my special guest, my husband, Troy, back. Welcome, babe. Thank you. Thanks for being here. We were just looking, and it's been 15 episodes since you've last been on the podcast. It's a long time. 
I can't believe it. Lots has happened. Um, we're going to start out with a answering one of your questions. For those of you guys that don't know, we will are happy to answer your questions and you can submit them through lisamichaud.com slash ask a question and I'll link that in the show notes, of course. But today the question is from Danae. So I'm going to let Danae take it away. Hey, Lisa and Troy. I've been enjoying the real estate part of your podcast, Lisa as well as the whole thing in general. But just recently, my husband and I have looked into real estate investing, so this has been fun to listen to. Wondering if Troy has any um, suggestions for his go-to podcast or books he can recommend, um, other than your podcast, obviously. Thank you. So recommendations for books... Or podcasts. I'm not a huge book guy, as Lisa might know, but I do listen to a fair few podcasts. I would recommend, especially from a mindset place, probably Bigger Pockets. They do have a lot of really world class guests on there, and, and I think they kind of change the way you think. Uh, for our Canadian listeners, I think probably like more tactically you're looking at like the right club r-e-i-t-e club they have a podcast uh, sarah larby she has uh, where to invest and um that's probably i guess good to get you started um there are some some books out there like bigger pockets has some uh investing out of state uh, uh books and a few other ones on how to get started but yeah, I actually haven't read them. <laughs> we have them, though. I'm pretty sure I've seen them in my Kindle. Uh, some other ones, I think. That, but yeah, I haven't haven't gotten through everything that we've bought. Again, I, I'm not a book reader, so. <laughs> That's honest, yeah. Uh, and obviously, Mel's Women of Action podcast is one of your favorites because I'm a guest on it, right, babe? Yes, I think early on, or episode two or three, yeah. you were there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with Mel Dupuis. So that's a great episode if you want to hear from more of a woman's perspective as well. Uh, yeah, those are some good ones. Thanks, hon. I appreciate that. I love that our first question that came in was for you, and thank you so much for answering it. If you have a question too, make sure you just go ahead and do the same, lisamichaud.com slash ask a question, and we're happy to help you out on your real estate journey. So today we're talking about the last 12 months and how we went from nine to 33 doors and some of the lessons that we learned through that process and really kind of the successes and the failures in our real estate business over the last year. Um, so really over the last year, we purchased three buildings, a 13 unit building, a six unit building and a five unit building. And that wasn't enough to take us from nine to 33. So that's kind of the short story, but let's give you the long version of that, of what that looks like. So why don't you start by sharing where we were at at the beginning of 2020? Cause it's very different than how we ended 2020. Yeah. I think we were looking outside of our home market is a big one. we realized that BC had gotten quite expensive to invest in. And so we were looking elsewhere. That was probably the biggest change. And then probably looking at scale. So duplexes are, I I don't want to say awful, but they're harder to make money on, especially with Canadian prices. I think some other markets, uh, especially in the U.S., you can do okay with with smaller buildings. But we're looking for economy of scale. You know, if there's one roof for six units. It's better than one roof for two units. That's maybe not that much smaller of a roof. So, I think, um, yeah, we were looking at larger buildings as well as 
um, different markets to the to the big things that change for us. Um, we also had kind of hit the ceiling of our ability to finance buildings personally. So as some may or may not know, your I- income uh, kind of dictates how much money the banks will lend you. And when you're getting into smaller residential sized buildings, which depending on which bank you ask is anywhere from four to six units in that range or less, your income is kind of based or the amount that they'll lend you is based on your personal income. And when you get above that, that's when they'll look at the building as an asset that produces income itself. So we wanted to utilize that income versus our personal income because we were running out of the ability to finance buildings on our personal income. Yeah. We knew how to go from, you know, one to 10 properties or maybe even to 20 with our personal income or somewhere in there but it was you know how do we go more than that and that was something where we really didn't know a lot and we did start looking at commercial financing but it is more costly and it only works on certain buildings at the time and yeah so we were kind of a, a bit i don't want to say stuck but we kind of slowed down a bit we were like what we knew we were on the precipice of something big but didn't know exactly how and what it was going to look like and we're going to share some of the things that really helped us to scale so fast we're going to go into more detail but i'd say at a high level the biggest things that, that i think and i don't know if you have other thoughts on this but you know working with mentors and actually learning from people who had been before us I think man I this is embarrassing to think about but I don't even know if besides like one real estate book if we'd ever really listened to many podcasts before that on real estate or read very many books I think we read one book several years ago and (laughs) yeah that's probably accurate yeah so I mean yeah we kind of were just figuring things out on our own and I think that was a really big a great shift is learning from other people who had been there. And so big shout out to investor Mel and Dave. Um, they, we joined their program and they've been fantastic. And a, a lot of the podcasts that Troy shared too. And, and just even connecting with other people. I think that was a big change for us as well. Um, second thing I would say is the creative financing, bringing in outside investors, working with promissory notes and learning also how to work with registered funds. That was a really big one too for us. And learning how to analyze deals differently and looking for the future value instead of just relying on how the bank value. It. I think those were those were three big things that I can think of. Um, we're going to go into more detail, but is there any other high level ones you can think of? That's uh, probably yeah. The I think the big one is 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 mentors again. It, you can learn from other people's experience rather than just trying to figure it out on your own. And which pains me to say because I typically like to try and figure it out on my own. That's I think my personality. But yes, it's it's definitely worthwhile to accelerate yourself you know, years of experience just by asking or paying to ask other people uh, for, for that experience and knowledge. So you don't have to make their mistakes along the way. And that's kind of what we're doing with this episode because we're (laughs) the next thing we're going to talk about is our failures and some lessons learned. And we hope that we can, you're going to be, you're way ahead just by listening to these episodes. You're way ahead of where we've been and we've been investing for over 10 years now. And, um, let's talk about some of the things that did not work this year. And you guys can hopefully learn from this and not make the same mistakes. I think not taking action. And I know that you talk to anyone on any podcast about anything. They'll, they'll say, what was the, what, what do you regret most? And people are like, ah, oh, I should have done this sooner. Or I didn't buy this or, uh, and we had analyzed uh, a couple, or, and I say we, me, I had analyzed uh, a couple of properties. I actually had an offer in on one an accepted offer. And it 
looking back now, I kick myself and this is only six months. This was in, I think July, August. So I guess maybe it's eight months now or, but anyway, uh, definitely six months after I let it go or, or less, I was definitely sad that I had let it go. I think it, there was some unease just around probably COVID and the economy and what's happening, you know, generally in the world. And I think it was something that wasn't a perfect deal, but it was probably 90, 95%. And the, the building was also in kind of a up and coming neighborhood. And I, I think I, even to myself saw that and I, and my realtor was like, why would you want to buy that there? And I said, well, I think it's up and coming. And he's like, I don't think it'll ever, ever change in that area. And it has. And of course, I let other people's sort of opinions influence me and my decision. And it's important to take advice from people. But I think some people have, say, lived in an area for a long time or it's an area is always known as a bad area and it'll never be known as something else. And they haven't seen neighborhoods come through good change. It's always bad change. It's always decline. And I think that people get stuck on that and can't see that it will be better and, or it's getting better. Or if you, you can make it better, right? You can influence it. If what we're doing is not purchasing buildings that are underperforming and in poor neighborhoods and are falling apart and leaving them that way. That's not our strategy. We are improving them. We are managing tenants properly so that the whole building, the whole neighborhood has good people living in it. It's safer. It's, it's, you are part of the change or we are, are are part of the change. And I think there was a couple of buildings that I just didn't act on. I, I think it was more of a, I don't know, maybe this is enough that we have already. I don't know if we can take on more and looking back on it, we definitely could have. Now I'm, I'm wishing I had more buildings to be working with that we could be working on because it's, it, it's a much more competitive marketplace right now. And it's tougher to find exactly what I had or could have had rather. So I think that that's probably the lesson in that is if, if it's good, if there's always a bit of risk in everything you do. And I think to be conservative for sure, but also try and be a little bold because no one ever was successful by just being mediocre or no one was ever wildly successful by just being mediocre and not taking a little bit of risk. And and if it's a calculated risk, uh, which Lisa's probably knows this better than anyone, I don't take uncalculated risks. So (laughs) if it's a calculated risk, I, I think there's probably some room for, for failure and, and, and learning too, right? Not every failure is, is a failure. It can be a lesson. And and what did you learn from that? What, what did you, what do you gain that you'll do differently? You know, was your estimation off of what the repair would be or your timing of it? Or you, you kind of get to know the people you work with and what they're capable of and in what timeline. And could we have turned this around quicker or would have been slower and that all kind of eventually affects your bottom line. So I think it could have been, yeah, it would have been good having bought that building. I think I, I foresaw the potential in it and 
I think today it's probably worth twice what it was without having done anything to it, much less forcing some appreciation by doing some improvements. So yeah, good lessons, good lessons. I mean, I kind of hear a couple things there. A reminder of, you know, to get input and also, again, the realtor or or property manager or anybody, they're, they're going to have different perspectives than an investor would, right? They look at things differently. They're so that's where having your own perspective and other investors can be really helpful. Um, and also, you know, playing bigger, which I think we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, and the mindset that we can do more than one at, at the same time. And calculated risk, you know, I think you, you are very good at, we joke about you analyzing, but you are an analyzer and you're so good at that. You're definitely one of your strengths. I think it's all knowing, you know, what level you're at and and what risks you can take and it's all it's all step by step. And this one's probably a little more mine than yours, but if you have anything to add, go for it. Uh, for me, I definitely have found myself burning out in the last year with Troy working away uh, with Sonoma, our three-year-old, two, two, from two and a half to, to three and a half in this time. Um, she just doesn't sleep enough. She doesn't sleep enough. And, uh, you know, we're not able to be around family and get support or have friends come over and help or babysitters. You know, none of those things are options. And so I definitely have found myself burning out and being tired. I feel like it's been a lot. You know, we've we bought three buildings in the last year and one one more technically four I guess and we've been there's just been a lot of changes we've been setting up new companies and and then on top of COVID in my business and I think for me the lesson here is to get more help and I don't know if you you're on board with me for this but I do think you know we've learned to leverage money really well and I think the next piece is learning to leverage uh, other people's support and building our team. So we've started getting cleaners and not when Troy's home, he's still not, maybe by the time this episode goes live, I'll convince him to do that. But when he's gone, I have a cleaner come in, um, you know, getting some help with bookkeeping, trying to automate things, you know, as much as we can leverage other people and other people's support and talents, I think that's going to be important as we continue to grow. And I think I, yeah, I definitely learned that the hard way of, I really struggled in December, January. I was just tired. Even now I'm like a little tired again, just, just for reminding myself. Um, and a reminder for all of us, you know, I think we cannot just go, go, go. We're not robots. We're not machines. It's important to build in downtime. And one of the gifts that we're going to talk about from over the last year is that we really weren't able to do a lot. And one of the downsides and, and the great thing is we were able to channel that into our business and growing this. And the downside is that we, didn't go get away. We didn't really take a lot of downtime. So I think that's kind of one of my lessons and just a reminder to we're good at leveraging money. Let's can, let's see how we can leverage a team as well. I think that's the next step. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. You, you can't do it all. And if you try to, then you're not doing the things that you're good at all the time. So I think you should probably hone in on what you are good at and do that. And as you said, just leverage support from other people to do the things that you can't do or don't want to do uh, as you can. Yeah, I think it's a progress. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so question for you: What do you like? What's your strength? Probably analyzing and I don't know, coordinating people to analyzing the deal and coordinating people to perform the work and sort of having a vision of what I want and need them to execute to get us to a profitable building. Yeah, you're good at that for sure. Uh, what's something that you may need to take off your plate or may need, maybe need to stop doing or get support with? Uh, 
He didn't know this question was coming. <laughs> Probably two, one of two things. One is, I think, finding uh, deals. You can spend a lot of time scraping the internet and, and trying to find properties, but I, I'm trying to leverage other people to uh, find them for me, and then they just get paid to do that. And perhaps bookkeeping. I think that's one that's quite time-consuming that we we are in the process of uh, you know transitioning to someone else doing that, helping us with that. Definitely, definitely. And a cleaner, right? And maybe a cleaner. We'll see. <laughs> see, we're a work in progress too. We're a work in progress. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's talk about our successes then. What I mean, we kind of talked about them on a high level, but let's go a little bit more in, in depth around what, what it was that really tactically helped us to, to scale so much. Uh, one of the biggest, one of the things we said is we started playing bigger, right? Uh, I think for a long time when we started, especially when we started just with one property, it was like, okay, well, we'll have this property and it'll mostly just kind of pay for itself. And in 25 years, it'll be paid off and it'll pay us, you know, $1,000 a month or something like that. And we saw it, uh, real estate as being a vehicle for a little extra padding for our retirement, or we could maybe sell it and get some cash out. But I think that's kind of where we, where we started, right? Would you agree? Yeah. And then I think maybe six six years in seven years in we thought well if we could do this with one maybe we'd then just do it with a few and then maybe we'll get two thousand dollars a month or three thousand dollars a month in retirement or a little bit more cash in the end and so that was kind of our our next level was just more properties that can basically take care of themselves pay for themselves and in 25 years will be will be taken care of and you know i want to just interject here a little bit in terms of our retirement planning we're pretty we're conservative in something so that we can be risky in others. And I think every time we're planning, we assume no inheritances. We assume no CPP or OAP, old age pension, is that right? OAS, old age security, anything from the government. We assume no pensions as well in when we do all our retirement planning. And so if we get any of those things, it will be a bonus, but we're, you know, healthy healthily skeptical of what those systems and what those that might look like in the next 30 to 60 years, to be honest. So I think we're, we kind of figure like we are going to take care of ourselves and we want to make sure that we have everything we need for our retirement. So at the time and over the last 10 years, our journey has kind of been, well, if one property is good, then five will be better. And then eventually we had none. We're like, this is great. This will be really helpful. Um, and then as the opportunities to do what we were doing, which was financing 100% of the property in BC, as those opportunities started to run out, we had to explore more areas. And that really showed us what was possible. As we started looking to the East Coast, we realized this major, amazing thing called cash flow. And I think that that changed the game for us. And that really made us start thinking thinking bigger and not just about how we can break even, but how we can actually make money. And that meant um, that meant everything changing. Would you agree? Yeah, I think where we looked, what, what we looked at, what our expectations of of a property instead of like you said, just making covering itself and maybe a little bit extra so it covers its maintenance. Uh, looking at how can it cover all those things and pay us each month, each month. So, and to be clear, just to break even in BC is a big deal. That was a, even a, it was it was a big deal, right? Yeah. That was it was hard to find. It was you know people asked us a lot like how do we find it? We're like we just look at a lot of things and we stay very open and lots of analyzing. Um, so that was a big deal at the time. We just didn't even realize there was this whole other. It almost felt like there wasn't even this 
like what it can also pay you that's amazing right mm -hmm. that's how that's how it felt um and it also meant for us you know more debt and getting comfortable with that yep. i would say definitely we've had to kind of get over that um and also the potential to replace our active income with passive income which is very cool and very exciting yeah yeah playing playing a bigger game i'd say for yeah that's good. Um, I think also figuring out how to get over that inevitable income ceiling that everybody hits, like you, like you were saying, financing often requires your personal income, and whether you make fifty thousand a year or five hundred thousand a year or five million a year, there's still a ceiling on that, and everybody hits that. So commercial financing, even getting comfortable with it, I think the first time we looked at commercial financing was for a six-unit building that we bought, and we were worried. At least I know I was. I don't know if you were too, but it was. It, it was more. It's more expensive. It was an extra percentage or two in interest, and we were. I was. I was a little bit like, oh, I don't want to pay more, and the transition that I know I've made, and I think you're there too, is well, if the deal can and the building can support it and it can still pay for itself, then that's okay and that's because we're buying a business and if we have to pay more but we're, we're making it then it's not a big deal so i think that was a big big piece there too um do you want to speak a little bit to the financing from others and what that's how, how we do that what that's enabled us to do yep so we've looked to basically people who invest with us or in us i don't know how you want to look at it but uh, we we've leveraged other people's money to be able to buy more properties at a faster rate. So used personal loans uh, from people uh, with offering basically just interest payments at, at the, sometimes throughout, sometimes at, at the end of the loan, but using that to, as you said earlier, be able to have cash offers. Um, we've used it for renovations on buildings um, and a lot of buildings that are in poor state the banks won't even touch to begin with because they they look at it as a business right they don't want to have something that isn't making money and is run down and needs a lot of work because if they take it back or have to take it back then they it's not worth the hassle to them to do it right so you can use other people's money get into these buildings uh you know pay your investors a, a much more handsome return than what they'd get by sitting in a savings account and uh then get the building repaired, stabilize it, get some good tenants in there, and then go back to an A lender like your RBCs, BMOs, and they'll look at it much, much differently once it's repaired in good shape and fully tenanted. And they'll, they're, they're happy to lend you money on that. So I think that's a big accelerator, I think, for, for us is, is having done that this year in the last year yeah we thank you to all of our investors if you're listening we appreciate you we love you and we <laughs> we enjoy every time we get to send you an interest payment it feels good for us and um it, it does allow us to do these things i mean the i remember one of the buildings that we bought the 13 unit building banks wouldn't even look at it because about half the building was uninhabited and we knew that if we could renovate and update that side of the building that obviously then the building would make money but traditional banks won't look at that and so that can be a really big it can be a really big barrier because you can't get commercial financing can't get personal financing so that's where having outside investors or having a lot of cash personally can can make the difference there and so we finally figured out how to crack that code and how to, how to do that and i think also with um with having outside investors are we're able to keep money on the side ourselves as well for the times when things go wrong 
Like we are not, uh, you know, we've got, just got that extra, I don't safety net, I guess, or bucket to kind of make sure that we're able to cover things. If a renovation takes longer than we thought, if, um, you know, COVID hits or if who know a deal falls through, whatever that is that we're able to, to cover that. And it's, it doesn't affect our ability to continue to grow or continue to expand or purchase more buildings. So that's definitely a big thing. But I would say now that we know what we've learned, now that we know, we know, and we, the sky's the limit at this point, really. It's how, it's the deals that we find. It's the investors that we get to work with and we're able to now grow and expand, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So the next couple, we're just going to kind of breeze through because we've already touched on it, but knowing our strategy and doubling down on that, that allowed us to focus on cash flow, multifamily. Um, that was really big investing in mentorship. Like I said, for almost 10 years, we did it ourselves. And when we finally invested, it made a really big difference and having outside investors, uh, people that we love. And we're so happy to, you know, learn about what their goals are for their retirement, for their family and making that happen and being able to use, use their money to expand our business and also to give back to them. Those are, I think, three things we've, we've already touched on them, but we wanted to make sure we highlighted those were big successes, big reasons why we were able to scale so much. What about COVID? COVID was ironically actually kind of a gift in, I would say, in the last year. I don't know if it would have been possible to do what we did if COVID hadn't happened. What do you think? I wouldn't say it wouldn't have been possible. It would have felt like more of a sacrifice maybe in terms of time, but I don't know that it wouldn't have been possible. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about this. So I like that. Yeah, it would have felt like more of a sacrifice. It didn't, because there was nothing else to do, it didn't feel like such a sacrifice to be spending time working on this business, right? On building in the new company and branding and looking at all these deals and setting all this up. Yeah, we didn't travel last year. We didn't really leave home. There was periods where you weren't allowed to really leave your home. And if you could, there was nothing that was open. So I think you're right that we probably maybe naturally more gravitated towards doing these things versus if we had a nice sunny March, April, May uh, last year. So this definitely kind of helped us get into that probably. Um, but the other thing was we didn't really purchase another property between April and December it was you know, there was a, a bit of a gap there just due to what was kind of available out on the market. And, and and what you spoke about too, about saying we already had one building and you didn't want to overload. That was that one of the lessons learned was that you could do more than one building. Yep. But things kind of really clammed up in up till probably, I want to say August, maybe even September. That's when things started moving again. So I think because of COVID, things had kind of slowed down in the market especially the multifamily market. Um, and there just wasn't a lot of inventory available. I mean, there was definitely some downsides here. It sucked to not be able to see friends or have, you know, play dates or patio parties and travel and all that. But I think we also were able to, you know, we looked at it as how, what is possible now? So yes, travel's not possible and birthday parties and all that is not possible. But what is possible is we can take this time. We, you know, we took a course together and learned. We build the processes. We started to put together our teams. We learned new markets. We were able to add 24 more doors and the revenue that comes with that every month. So it's pretty big. I don't want another year like that. <laughs> I don't know how you, I, I'm pretty done with, I feel like it's been pretty tiring and, I feel like we've building the processes and getting the knowledge and maybe that part is not fun to 
you know, continue on that curve. But I think now once it's a, it's a steep learning curve. So once you kind of gotten to the, the next level and things kind of flatten out, you can work well within your zone that you already, you know, understand it's not as much work to do what I do now. It's almost, it's not almost, it's a system. It's a, it's a process. You know, we, I have a friend that I've just recently helped buy a multifamily building and, it it seemed to him like something that was insurmountable and i was just you know kind of just okay do this do this do this do this do this talk to this guy this person this person this person and you know i actually talked to him last week or earlier this week and he he was like yeah i think i'm ready to go can you think of anything else and i was like no man you're good you're set like it's it's, and i i think just having done it so many times you know even even a an attempt like to say that we've only bought three buildings in the last 12 months we've been close to buying probably another five or ten uh, in terms of getting the offers in getting the due diligence rolling getting your insurance financing inspection uh, construction estimations your everything that goes along with this it it literally just becomes almost a checklist of what you need to do so and then knowing again going back to leveraging time who can do that for you how do you make it so that you're not spending your time uh, you know managing people and managing what you need just send someone off you know that in 10 days your insurance quote will come back this guy's ultra reliable always does what he says he's going to do find you what you need you don't need to spend any time monitoring or managing them so i think that's been a success i guess is ironing out what that process looks like and and who we work with and yeah having the go to back to your original question i guess having the nothing else to do and having that time during covid it didn't really seem like a sacrifice to get to this next level of understanding yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I'm really excited to be able to connect with people and get outside and travel. And like, I, yeah, I, I don't think I'd wish that year again on anyone, but I'm glad that we had it. I'm glad we did what we did with it. Um, and I think it says a lot of, also about the power of focus and necessity and urgency. You know, like when the, you know, the quote, necessity is the mother of, of all invention. You know, when we had, there was really nothing else to do and we kind of just put our minds down. It was amazing how it took us nine and a half years to go from one door to nine. And then we were able to go from nine to 33 in 12 months. And we have another six units under contract too, to, to complete later this summer. So, I mean, that's huge, right? That's, that's pretty cool. And I think it says a lot about, you know, when you, when you are dedicated, when you're willing to learn, when you're willing to invest to learn, you're in it, things can happen really fast. And so I think that's pretty cool. Uh, another piece of success, I would say working together with you, which is kind of, I don't know, it's been fun for me. Um, I think we both have very different strengths. I, yeah, and yeah. you're not in your head. Definitely. What would you say my strengths are? More people-based strengths. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Well, if anyone's ever done like Myers-Briggs I think it's Myers-Briggs or Disc. I can't remember which one. I've done a couple of them, but the one with the colors, which one is that? You you say it's Disc, but it's a di- I did a Disc where I was yellow and you always say I'm... Blue. Blue. But, yeah, okay. But either way, the one that is blue, green, 
the one red that and did, gold, I think. Yeah. I believe. Uh, I, anyway, it doesn't matter. But you're very blue, and I'm very or green. yellow. And and what that means is usually kind of engineers and people with like a technical uh, mindset where you know there's right, wrong, and nothing else. Uh, that's you, <laughs> that's right? Sort of Just green. to clarify, that's you. Yeah, that's green. That's me. <laughs> And where there's more float on what is possible and where relationships matter more than being correct, that's more blue. And that's sort of Lisa's zone, we'll say. so. Relationships, yeah. And podcasting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's many skills within that. But just generally your, I think, personality. I think we have different strengths in that. And we can kind of attack different sections of what needs to be done and even just understanding of what needs to be done. Yeah. we. I, I, it goes back to, I guess, leveraging time and insurance. For example, you worked in the insurance industry for many years, years ago. So your understanding of what we need from insurance and what we should expect in a policy, you know, is different than mine. So it, it takes less time for you to analyze an insurance policy than it would me. And so I offload that to you. To be clear, that one is not in my zone of genius. That is not something that I want to be doing. But there, there's a lot of things. Uh, it's, it's a process to get to the point where you're only doing the things that you are very good at. And that's that's one of the ones that I still do with that is not one of my strengths. But or not one of my like key core strengths, I would say. But I can I can do it. And I can do it. I'm the best one to do it in our household and in this business. So so it's on me. I think I've also it's been really fun to have this passion together and to be working on something together I think because we are both such different people that and maybe because there hasn't been a lot of other stuff going on in, in the, our lives and in the world and it's been nice to have this thing to kind of come together on and, and work towards I, I'm, I'm having fun with it I, I'd say it's a success to to be working with you and and learn from you and and also get to take advantage of your strengths and to le- lend mine to you you as well yeah, Troy's like, eh, he's, he's sure. blue. He's like, ah, I don't really care about this relationship thing, but I guess we got a success <laughs> out of it. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. Um, I would also say sharing our journey and being able to like work with other people. And of course, this is me, the relationship person, right? I'm like, I think it's been really fun. We love hearing from you guys with the podcast episodes. It's really fun getting your questions and answering them. Um, and even like with our investors, it's been really great because we actually hop on a call with everybody and we kind of jokingly call it money matchmaking. But it's so fun to get on a call with somebody and find out, you know, what are you looking for? And, w- you know, how what are your goals with this money? And what do you, would you rather be spending your time doing than, than doing the analyzing that we're doing or um, finding the deals like we are? What would they rather be doing? And how can we help them with that? And I think that's been a really cool thing is, is sharing our journey, also hearing other people's journey, what their dreams and goals are, and being able to match that. I think that's been really special. And um, it's cool to see what people are able to do with, you know, with when we have their investments, what were they able to do with the money that they make on that and, and what they see, you know, and some of it is like, you know, I'm going to buy a Tesla in, in a couple of years. And some of it is, um, you know, we're going to buy our retirement home or we're saving this for our family legacy or um, saving this to eventually start a business or whatever that is. But it's really cool to, to be a part of that. And I guess probably in a year where I know as an extrovert and as a, what color am I on you? Blue. 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 Oh, I'm okay, I'm blue. Someone's gonna have to set us straight on this, um, but as that, like the connection is really important, and this has been a tool. Our business has been a tool to really connect with people, even in a very lonely year. 
Uh, last thing I'm going to say for success, we actually went out to the East Coast and we did that obviously before COVID. Um, and But I would say that was something that really led to a lot of credibility. When we when we were out there, we got a chance to check out different cities, different communities, different neighborhoods. We got to meet with property managers, realtors, and set up our team and really get to know people. And I think that, I mean, that's a great, that was a great thing before, but as Troy, as you were talking about, the market's getting so much more competitive. There's a lot more investors. I think that really made us stand out and we already had some of those relationships built. Um, there's a lot of people, other people investing out there that have never been out there. And that's not to say you can't invest somewhere you've never been, but it just to recognize that because we've been out there, we have we do have an advantage for sure. You know, we have we have met face to face with our property manager, so we have trust. We've met face to face with a realtor, so there's a different level of trust. We understand the neighborhoods we've driven through. We just have that that vibe, um, and I think there's a, an old quote. I got to figure out who says all these great quotes, but there's not a lot of traffic after the extra mile, and I think that was us going the extra mile to actually go out there and. Um, I mean, you talk to people all the time, but uh, on the phone, but you say like realtors are getting dozens of investors a month reaching out to them, right? Yeah. yeah. It's competitive. There's lots of people looking at the same things we are. Uh, I think to your point, we need to, or it's good to understand the areas and, you know, a couple blocks can make a big difference. That's definitely one uh, advantage I think we have. And then, as you said, the, there's the realtors just get bombarded, I think with with out-of-town investors and having made the relationships, um, I think they consider us, I think, more serious than just the average Joe who who calls in, who may, who may, may be in the same position we are, you know, either financially or, or in terms of seriousness. But we, I think, would get the first call, and I have gotten the first call on uh, on deals because we know these people personally. So... I think that yeah, it's it's important to go the extra mile and and I think build build the trust, but also follow through on what you're going to say. I think, or sorry, on what you say you're going to do. Uh, some some people probably have more talk than action, and I like to have more action than talk. So yeah, wow, that's good. <laughs> but you also see the value in relationships. Absolutely, but I, I guess. Don't say that you're going to do something that you're not going to do. Uh, you know, you're, you don't want to waste these people's time, right? Uh, there's between property managers and realtors and uh, your mortgage brokers or your insurance agents. Like they don't want to be chasing, you know, quotes or chasing deals that you're, you know, and eh, eh, nah, not, not for me, you know, well, why? Why? It's just not for me. Well, if you don't give them the feedback on, on not so you can't walk away from a deal and, and we have, but like, here's why it, you know, the repair cost is too much. This is what I need to be into the building for. And when they understand your strategy, they won't send you things that don't meet your, your, your strategy. So I think, yeah, building the relationship is good. And also making your team understand what you need from them and what your expectations are around you know, what, what a good deal looks like to you. And going the extra mile to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Or the extra, you know, couple thousand miles across the country. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know that you've got a, you got a haircut appointment here coming up. I can see you checking the time. So uh, let me ask you one last question here. I always shared a lot in this episode. And for somebody listening that is a real estate investor or wants to start investing, like what, if there was one thing that you wish everybody knew, what would that be? 
get educated. I, I kind of touched on it earlier, but definitely I think paying someone, even though and it pains me even to think about uh, what, what, what I didn't know a year ago and what I know today, I think paying for that knowledge is, is something that I wish I could go back 12 months and get. Oh my gosh. Don't you think 12 years? Yeah. Even better? <laughs> even better. 20. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I'd be retired by now. For, we seriously would be, right? Not yeah. just you. Me too. Yes. Yes. <laughs> just to be clear. You got, I got that on audio. It's recorded. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Troy, for being here again. Thanks for having me. I hope it's not another 15 episodes in six months. Till you're here again, we'll have to get you on here. If you guys have questions, lisamishow.com slash ask a question and we will answer them. And I mean, hopefully we just saved people, I hope, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of mistakes in this episode. Um, thanks for bringing your analyzing hat and, and being here. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls podcast.